Uh, welcome. My name is Russell. I'm here uh, joined by my fellow elder John this morning. Uh, our other fellow pastor and elder Nick is, uh, like we said, in Michigan. So one of the things that I forgot as the guest preacher is you need to come up with a title for your sermon. So uh, yesterday I had to summarize my thoughts for a quick minute, and uh, I called it uh, today Encouragement in Antioch. So before we begin, I would just like to pray that we would all be encouraged by God's word today. Father, thank you for your words written uh, as we've been studying and we've been encouraged and equipped uh, through our study in Acts. Lord, would you take these, these words that were inspired by you years ago, specifically these verses in Acts eleven nineteen through 30, would you uh, use them to change us for your glory and for the good of your people? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, for those of those visiting or maybe have not been here with us uh, through our story in Acts, I thought I'd do a quick review this morning um, as how we ended last week. Um, as uh, we saw last week, uh, chapter 11 was kind of a replay of chapter 10. And uh, we saw as uh, chapter 11 ended in verse 18, um, we heard about Cornelius and his household and how they had come to faith. And there's a really important word in that slide as Matthew gets that up there. Uh, in verse 18, it said, When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles, God has also granted repentance that leads to life. And as Nick did a great job hitting on this word repentance, it's going to play a crucial part of our study today as we go through. And I just want to give you a point of view from a hillbilly from Willowdale, what the word repentance means. Uh, I wanted to start with a classic biblical example of this from uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.9. Um, as Paul was writing his letters to the Thessalonians, uh, it's fun to say, um, he reminded them of how they were once living in sin, but they received him well and heard the message of the gospel and uh, welcomed him. So this is what he said. He says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols and to serve the living and true God. Repentance is always a gift from God, and it's always turning away from sin and to God. And what Paul did here in this verse in Thessalonians was he gave us the two marks of a truly converted believer. It's someone who has turned from sin and is trusting in God, as we see here. Now, the Bible describes this process for us and how this happens, and it always happens by hearing of the word of Christ and God opening our hearts and our minds to see the truth of repentance and to turn from our sin and to trust in Christ. So it comes from hearing the word of Christ, and we will experience that today firsthand in our passage. Another quick review, uh, in the beginning of Acts in chapter 1, uh, the author of Acts, Luke, tells us that there was a promise and that the disciples would be commissioned and they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit and he told them that they would be going everywhere, but first starting in Jerusalem, then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And today in our study, we're going to see that this transition to the ends of the earth really picks up speed. Um, how is this going to happen, though? Jesus promised his disciples that they would be the ones who would be commissioned, that they would be his witnesses. So how would God expand his kingdom? Well, he tells us, and, and if you've uh, been a Bible reader for some time, you'll remember in the Gospels, in uh, the Gospel of Mark, in Mark 1.15, uh, the verse that we use again and again is Jesus told them this message, that the kingdom of God was at hand, and they were to repent and believe in the message of the Gospel. 
So that's been taking place, and uh, we've seen that. And again and again, we see that the word of God has been spoken. We see that people hear the word of God. And I love the example in Acts chapter 2 where it says their hearts were pierced. And their hearts were pierced because they felt the weight of their sin and the wrath of God against them. But then they were able to turn to the gospel because God opened their eyes and they were able to trust in Christ for their salvation. So who does God use to do this commission? In uh, Acts chapter 10, we saw an angel come, but the angel doesn't go around uh, proclaiming the gospel. The angel commissioned Peter, and, the, and God commissions us as believers to go and to share the gospel. I want to show you a, uh, a slide here. Um, we call this the circle of witness. And this illustrates that what uh, Luke was telling us in Acts 1.8, that the gospel would start in Jerusalem. And you remember like one passage that said that they were behind locked doors and they were kind of fearful. Uh, but then we see that the Holy Spirit indwells them. And by the power of the Spirit, then in Acts chapter 8, we've seen where that circle has broadened. We've gone to Judea. We've gone to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. Last week, we did the Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. And we see it going to some of the first Gentiles. And as we get closer to the end of Acts, we're going to see we're into this most outward circle of the world to the end of the ages or to the end of the earth as uh, the author tells us here. So we see in that first uh, few chapters of Acts that there was a tight group of disciples in Jerusalem. And then a little bit further we see the, uh, the Samaritans in the last two weeks. We got to see that this repentance that leads to life, we got to see this in the life of Cornelius and his household. Now today, we will see the gospel spread in two specific ways. We will see that the gospel spreads geographically and culturally. So one of the things, if, um, if you remember uh, about the Jewish people and in the Old Testament, and uh, this is for those of you, uh, maybe a quick show of hands, have you ever attempted to read through the Bible in a year plan? Has anybody in here ever done that? See Trudy here? Yeah, see Steve, a couple people, yeah. Well, You'll remember that uh, one of the uh, uh, passages that is super hard to read in that is uh, Leviticus. Um, and there's some things in there about the Jewish people and the old people. But before we get to that, let's begin with today's passage. Uh, let's start there in Acts 11, uh, verse 19. Um, if you're using a uh, pew Bible, yeah, you can look at page 920. Uh, or you can follow along on the screen um, as we have this here. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Now, as God is in the Old Testament has used his chosen people or the Israelites, it's, it's not a surprise here that we see this phrase at the end of this verse of no one except the Jews. Um, I have a couple slides that Matthew's going to put up. It's going to look overwhelming when you see them, but as I was talking, those of you who have read through Leviticus, you've seen some things like this, and, and in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, how people were made right with God, and there was this sacrificial system that was overwhelming. There were, there were over 600 laws in the Old Testament that people had to follow, and when you broke God's law, unlike today, there was a system that you had to go through. So Matthew, if you want to put up that uh, Leviticus uh, 4 slide... 
And uh, for those of you who have read through Leviticus and struggled through it, this will be fruitful for you. And uh, it will show you how to appreciate that. So we're going to do a speed read here. Uh, We're going to hit some key points here. So if any one of the common people sins unintentionally or doing any one of the things that the Lord commandments ought not to be done, or speeding ahead there, or if someone brings uh, a commitment against somebody, so even if one of your fellow church members was nice enough to say, hey, this guy sinned, here's what you had to do. You had to bring a goat uh, before the uh, church. It had to be without blemish. It had to be, you had to lay your hand on the head of the sin offering. You had to kill the sin offering. You had to spill some blood on the altar. You had to spill some blood on the horns as we go forward there, Matthew. And then what would happen at the end is the priest... He would make an atonement for you, and you shall be forgiven. And hopefully some similarities in the gospel jump out there to you of someone made a uh, sacrifice for you, an atonement for you, so that your sins could be forgiven. So these, these Jewish people that we see in verse 19, this is what they grew up in. And as these people were leaving and traveling to Antioch and Phoenicia and Cyprus, they're speaking only to the Jews. And this, this is what would have been in their, their hearts and minds about how to have your sins forgiven. But as we look at these quick verses in Hebrews as a, as a contrast to the old covenant system to, to nowadays and to the Gentiles and how they're saved as we, as we widen that circle today, you can see in Hebrews 19, the author tells us, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God. There again, it has to be a perfect sacrifice without blemish. It would clear us from our conscience, uh, from our dead works, so that we can serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from transgressions committed under the first covenant. So we see the gospel screaming from this passage of uh, a death on our behalf, a redemption by the blood of Christ. And it's different in the new covenant because it's a one-time sacrifice. So as these people are coming in verse 19 to Antioch, we see that they're speaking the word and they're speaking the gospel. So what might be something that, uh, where's an example that we can look at to see um, how they were sharing the gospel? Um, let's let's put the slide up there, Matthew, of uh, Acts chapter 5. There's multiple places that we could look uh, at to see how people are sharing the gospel. This is one of my favorite ones. Uh, Peter, um, after, after he's did this awesome sermon at Pentecost, he's going throughout the city. He's preaching that Jesus um, is the way of forgiveness. He gets put in jail, and as he gets out of jail... The people ask him, hey, what are you doing? And this is what he says. He says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witness to these things so that the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So Peter is preaching that Jesus, this man Jesus, has the authority to forgive sins. And he's saying that in no other name, one other place, Peter says, will it be forgiveness of sins. It's only through this man, Jesus. As we sang this morning in Come, Praise, and Glorify, there was a line in there that says, Our spirit is our guarantee. And we see here in this verse in Acts 5 that the spirit is given to those who have repented and trusted in Christ. Those who have been led to repentance and life are sealed with the spirit. And that's a promise from God.
All right, now let's go on uh, to verse uh, 20. When we get to verse 20, so we've got the people speaking only to the Jews. And as we get to uh, verse 20 here, we see this. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now as we talked about the Jewish people, um, sticking to the uh, Jewish people, we see a difference here in these men. As these men come uh, to the city of Antioch, they were speaking to a group of people called the Hellenists. So if you're following along in your uh, bulletin, I've got a little fill in the blank to help keep myself on track and uh, to help you learn some things today. The Hellenists, your first fill in the blank here, were the Greek-speaking Jews or Gentiles. Again, that's the Greek-speaking Jews or Gentiles. That's who the Hellenists were. Now, uh, in Greece, the culture was just spreading like wildfire across the Roman Empire. And that, that process or that, that thing was called Hellenization. And the people it affected were called Hellenists. So as these people are fleeing the persecution uh, that we saw, um, they come to Antioch, and these group of men are actually teaching to the Hellenists or people other than the Jewish people. Now here's, here's what's cool about this. Um, as we, we start with this narrow-minded vision of Jews only, and now we see this group of men who we, we don't even get their name, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, they're coming to us from, uh, from some persecution. Uh, so this, this passage that we looked at with Cornelius was kind of like in parentheses. So if you remember back to like Acts chapter 7, Stephen was stoned, and then it said that the uh, believers, in uh, Matthew, if you want to put Acts 8 up there, it said that the believers were scattered after the stoning of Stephen. And in the next page it says um, that not only were they scattered, but these scattered people went about preaching the word. So we kind of got away from that, and we got the story of Paul's conversion, and then we got the story of Cornelius the past few weeks. So right here is where we're at picking up this, this story, these scattered believers. So in the first two verses, we see that some of these scattered believers came to Antioch and only spoke to the Jews, but now in verse 20, we've built on that. They came to Antioch and they spoke to the Jews and the Hellenists. So let's take a look at some maps here and uh, help us figure out where we're at. All right, so this is the first map here. You can see down there in the bottom right, the church in Jerusalem. Uh, you can see over there, Cyrene didn't quite make the map, but it's over there in that territory. Um, you've got uh, uh, Tarsus and Antioch and Cyprus are going to be mentioned in this passage. But you can get an idea of how, how the distance that we're talking about. We're going to be talking about these people traveled 450 miles uh, to Antioch from where the church first started in Jerusalem. Right, if we look at the next map here, um, we'll get an idea of the uh, importance of Antioch. Um, Antioch is going to go on to be a very important uh, city in the spread of the gospel. Uh, to help us understand, Antioch was a, a large city, lots of commerce, lots of business, uh, lots of trade routes going through there to connect to uh, other places. Um, Antioch was a huge city. Some commentaries I read said there were up to 500,000 people in Antioch at this time. 
So as you can imagine, as the gospel goes to Antioch, we're going to have all kinds of walks of life. In these large populations, like in America today, you're going to have all kinds of cultural differences. You're going to have many views of religion. You're going to have a lot of sexual perversion and pagan worship and endless amounts of dishonoring God. Antioch was going to be like a Las Vegas or a sin city. If we go to the next map, you can kind of see, yeah, here in Chicago. Oh, yeah, go back to that one, Matthew. Antioch is similar to like a Chicago in the U.S. Uh, it's kind of a connector between the large populous city of New York and the large city of Los Angeles. That's kind of where we are with Antioch. So last map here to help us out. As that circle of witnesses expanding and we get to the ends of the world, this map, it's hard to read, but you can see on here, it shows uh, in the, the green the growth of Christian during the first century and then the growth of Christianity during the second century. So you can see how we're kind of we're growing, and then boom, it gets bigger. And we're right in the smack dab middle of God's plan of where that, where that transition happens today. All right, thanks, Matthew. Now we've got uh, back on verse 20. Um, we've read that. We've talked about the, uh, the Hellenists. Um, we talked about who they are. And uh, now we see that just these few unnamed men spread the gospel. Uh, but it's one thing to important that the evangelism of the Jews did not stop. God is continuing to widen that circle, but it's the important to know that the evangelism of Gentiles begins, but the evangelism of the Jews never stopped. And in fact, this, this town in Antioch would be, become kind of the new hub of Christianity. The church in Jerusalem is kind of moving 450 miles, where this is going to be like our home base. Paul's going to do three large missionary journeys and this church in Antioch is going to be a, be a big part of that. All right, now here we are at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Here we see a couple of things. God's people are at work evangelizing. We've heard it's called sharing the gospel, speaking the word, preaching the Lord Jesus. And people heard and those who God had picked from the beginning of time turned and trusted in the Lord. And one of the cool things about evangelism is um, evangelism gets a lot of myths, I would call them. And it's cool for here, it's worth noting that not everybody who hears the gospel responds to the gospel. It says a great number responded, though that means that there were some who didn't respond to the gospel. There were some who God didn't open their eyes to repentance and faith to trust in Christ. So there's a myth that if you're evangelizing in your efforts, if not everybody responds to you, that you're a failure. That's a myth. And we see that right here in the scripture, that a great number believe, but that also means that there were some who didn't believe. So I hope that's an encouragement to you. At VCC, we love these kind of reports. We love hearing conversations where you're at work, you're at school, you're, you're at the swimming pool, you're at the poultry day's chicken line, wherever God might call you. And you share the gospel, and it might be time and time again, but people turn and believe. As parents, you want to hear this about your kids. You want to hear that my son or my daughter, for the first time, heard and understood the gospel and has been brought into the family of God. You want to hear this about your relatives. You want to hear this about your close friends. Some of you are probably battling this right now, uh, but we need to trust in God's timing and God's work as we evangelize. Now, the church in Jerusalem loves to hear these kind of stories too. So let's see how they respond in verse 22 and 23 
as they hear the news of what's going on in Antioch. Verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So when Barnabas, when he gets to Antioch, what, what did he hear? What did Barnabas see? Why did they start this big investigation? Well, Barnabas, being a man of God, knows true conversion and repentance that leads to life. And unlike in the earlier chapters, like with Cornelius and his household, they were already, as the Bible calls, God-fearing people. They would be like what our cultural calls church people. The Bible described Cornelius as a devout man who feared God, but what we need to be reminded of is that he still needed to hear and believe the gospel, that Cornelius was still dead in his sin. But as we go on in today's story, we're going to find out the not church people. We're going to see the big sinners, as we would wrongly call them. We're going to see the people that your mom says you shouldn't go out to lunch with in this story today. Which brings us to our second fill in the blank, if you're still awake and tracking with me today. Today we go to this whole other level of sin and immorality in this tough environment in Antioch. These don't look like church people. But by the grace of God and despite, here we go, despite opposition, many turn to the Lord. So despite opposition, many people in Antioch turn to the Lord with faith and repentance. Now, our third fill in the blank, back to back here, this happened because those few men from Cyprus and Cyrene came to Sin City and went about, what were they doing? They were speaking the word, as we saw in verse 21. Now, look at the ways we see all this, sharing the gospel, speaking the word Jesus. I'm using the word evangelism. Let's, let's throw this slide up there. Um, Barnabas says he sees the grace of God. Uh, Lindsay helped me with this. I was trying to think of a way that I could help you picture or envision when Barnabas says he sees the grace of God. One of the commentaries said the grace of God kind of looks like good weather. Now, my wife would love for me to book a vacation to this place uh, and enjoy this good weather, right? I think maybe the Sunburgers have talked about this same place. But as we look at this, we just feel good, like sunshine, waters, sipping on a cold glass of chocolate milk. Uh, this just looks good. And as Barnabas comes in, and we'll later see some character traits of Barnabas, he knows that this isn't just some emotional experience in the church of Antioch. Barnabas knows that this is a true conversion. He sees the grace of God alive and well in these people, and it looks like this. It looks like good weather. It looks like something that normal people don't have going on. There's something different about people living in the grace of God. And Barnabas sees that. And what does Barnabas do? Barnabas encourages them. As we um, look at verse 23 there, that word exhorted um, just means encouraged. And it says he encouraged them to remain faithful. You know, we need to be encouraged to be faithful because when we are faithful, we face that same opposition and we're tempted to take the easy road out. But Barnabas encourages this this young church and says, what I see in you is of God. Keep up the good work and to be steadfast in your work. 
Don't be faithful to anybody but the Lord, but be faithful in this work that I see. And he describes it as, uh, I want to describe it as like good weather. He described it as the grace of God. Now, let's look at verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Here we get this great description of Barnabas. We were first introduced to Barnabas back in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36 where we had learned that his hometown was of Cyprus, which if you remember on the map was that little island kind of out in the middle of the sea. That was Barnabas' hometown. We see that he is a, a man of faith. A lot of the commentaries describe Barnabas as the man with the largest heart in the church. Barnabas had a heart for lost people and for his fellow church members. His name itself means son of encouragement. Bar means son of, and Abyss, son of encouragement. Now I love how this, uh, this verse ends here in verse 24. It says, for there were many added to the Lord. As Barnabas is, is telling us that through the grace of God, people were coming to faith in Christ, and they were added to the Lord. Now, I'm not big into studying words a whole lot, but I thought this one here was definitely worth mentioning. As, I, as I'm going through this, I'm like, man, we've heard that added to the Lord before. We heard it in Acts 2.41 where thousands were added to the church after Peter's uh, big sermon there at Pentecost. In Acts 2.47, more were added to the church. In Acts 5, many were added to the church right before the story of uh, where, the, where the people sell their property and don't give all the money and they drop dead. Uh, but God was working and people were being added in some places to the church. Here we see added to the Lord. And there's an important thing here to be had by this phrase added. Um, and I think it'll help you to understand um, for your fourth fill in the blank. This verb, the word added in verse 24 is really hard to say. So that's why I had Matthew put it on his slide here. Prostethemy. Uh, it kind of looks like hemi on the end there, like a dodge hemi, right? It has nothing to do with dodge, right? It's this word prosthetomy. Now, it's the same word that we get the word prosthetics from. So like a surgical replacement of limbs and organs. They're, they're added on. If your foot gets cut off in an accident, you can prosthetically add on a new foot. Well, doesn't this bring a whole new meaning to Paul's metaphor in the church and members of the body as God has called you and you've trusted in him God adds you not only to the church but here we see God adds you to him to the Lord to his family and just as this is happening here and the circle is broadening from the church in Jerusalem we see that this is happening widely with the Gentiles and as these believers are getting together we're going to see that there's needs within the body, and God uses us to fulfill each other's needs. So let's look at uh, verse 25. Here we are. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. A lot of cool stuff in this little short passage here. One of the thoughts that I had is after reading these things several times, I thought, well, I wonder why Barnabas didn't go back to the church in Jerusalem to recruit some help. It's kind of where things all started. Wouldn't that have made more sense? 
After all, in just a few chapters, Paul and Barnabas are going to have a big dispute with the Gentile believers, and they're going to go back to the corporate headquarters in Jerusalem to, to get the blessing on the way they've handled the situation. But, However, if we think about Paul and Barnabas, and they have quite the friendship through the book of Acts. If we were to go back to chapter 9, if you want to flip back again, or I can tell you, we'll see the start of the friendship between Paul and Barnabas. You see, Paul was persecuting people. Paul was at the feet of Stephen and approved of his stoning, which started this scattering of people that we're picking up on the story today. But Paul, in his conversion, God saves him. And right away, Paul starts preaching that Jesus is God in Acts chapter 9. And he preaches this to the disciples in Jerusalem. And they doubted that Paul had received real repentance. But who comes alongside Paul in verse 27 and confirms his conversion? It was Barnabas. Now perhaps the reason Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul was because he remembered the doubt of those Jewish disciples and knew that Paul would be a better partner in a city like Antioch. Paul definitely would believe the transforming power of the gospel because he experienced it firsthand. The transforming power of the gospel that the Jews had doubted in Paul. Now maybe it's because Barnabas was a uh, uh, local native of Cyprus and these men who had moved into Antioch were from there and he would better relate to them. But whatever the reason, uh, Paul and Barnabas end up doing ministry together. Maybe, maybe Barnabas remembered Paul's conversion story. Paul gives us his conversion story in Acts 9, 22, and 26. And in all of those, he says that God specifically gave him a vision to go to the Gentile people. And I think that's a bigger, bigger part of it here because now we see the gospel widening out. And Barnabas chooses Apostle Paul to go with him. Now, what, what else is interesting about this verse 25 and 26 is it's hard to pick this up, but it's been seven years or so since Barnabas had seen Paul. Now, Josie, my wife, and I, we've been together for over seven years, and I often struggle to remember certain things from the beginning of our relationship, especially like who pursued who. Did I pursue her or did she pursue me? It's a little foggy. Um, but Barnabas was sure to remember Paul and his good work, and the work we got through him. Paul was the guy for the job. Barnabas went to get him. Now, similar to verse 21 here, we see this phrase, the hand of the Lord was with Paul and Barnabas. As they stayed in Antioch for a year teaching, I would love to get a transcript of one of their sermons. Wouldn't you guys like to know what they were preaching for a year in Antioch to those people far from God? Well, we know they were preaching the gospel. And we know that there was such a movement in this city, we see at the end of verse 26, that there was a movement. There was a people that were different than the rest of the people of the city. And it was growing. So much so that they had to give it a name. So we see at the end of verse 26 that in Antioch, the disciples got their name. And they were called Christians. Now we only see Christians two more times in the rest of the New Testament. Uh, but it's interesting uh, how we get this word Christian um, there's deeper definitions of this. I, I, I kept it simple. The word Christ obviously is Christ, you know, the Messiah. He's the, he's the chosen one. And then the word I-A-N on the end just means a follower of. So the simple definition is they were followers of Christ. Now, 
I'm part of a, a Cannondale four-wheelers group, and as you look at our group of people, everybody in the group drives a Cannondale four-wheeler, hence the name Cannondale four-wheelers. What was central to these people that they got the name Christian? Check it out. What was central in this group was the word Christ. People looked at this group of followers and they said, they're following Christ. There's something different about that. I love the verse in 1 Corinthians one twenty three where Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Now there were some people that these guys were preaching to in that year that thought the gospel was folly, that it was foolish. But not everybody, some heard and some believed. It's important to note that this group of followers was not a Facebook group. It was not a follower of Ohio State and Michigan football. But what they were noted for was their following of Christ. The onlookers looked at this group and they said, these people, like Herodians, who would be followers of Herod, like Caesareans, who would be, or Caesar, uh, they were followers of Caesar. So these people were simply Christians, followers of Christ. I want to stop here for a minute and challenge you guys a little bit. These two guys and many others in this story are sharing the gospel. They're being obedient, as that verse in Thessalonians said to God. Are you guys evangelizing? I got a, I got a feeling that there's a fear in some of us that we're worried about screwing up or we're worried about saying the right thing. Or we're worried about maybe not having all the right answers. And really, that's kind of selfish. It's kind of a bad fear. It's kind of like saying we could think of something better than what God could say. But really, we can't think of anything better. What we need to do is like these people did, is trust what God told us to say and to say it. God has called us to do evangelism and he has instructed us what to say. He has instructed us to share the gospel. And like these people, we need to trust him with the results. I just had a very encouraging conversation with Trudy as she's working with a person in her life and she's saying the gospel. And the person's not responding right away, but she is being consistent and she is trusting God's timing with the results. Now these scattered believers that came from Cyprus and Cyrene, they had a legit fear. They were running for their lives. A great persecution was coming across the believers. But they came to one of the most challenging cities in Antioch here. And they shared the gospel. And as we see, the hand of God was with them. Now I, I hope you see these first eight verses as an encouragement. I hope you see that a Christian is just not someone who follows a set of rules and lives a good life. But a Christian is a follower of Christ. And a follower of Christ is someone who fears God and not man. And they share the gospel. So here's your fifth fill in the blank if you're tracking with me still. Evangelism is God's work. Evangelism is God's work. Now he uses us as his workers. But we tend to make evangelism centered on ourselves and not God. But when we focus on God and our evangelism, we're doing his work. Now... If you uh, need a little help with that and you, uh, you still fight that fear of sharing the gospel with people, we have tools for you right here at the church that you can use. This is a gospel track. It's on the back table. I've seen people accidentally drop these on the floor in the restroom and someone later comes by and picks it up. It can be as simple as that. 
If, if you're struggling with that selfish fear of not sharing the gospel, start with something as simple as handing out a gospel tract. All right, let's finish our story here. Uh, back in verse 27. Now in these days, a prophet came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now a prophet here is just simply someone who spoke the word of God. And as Agabus uh, he has proved to be a good prophet. He says what God and says and only what God says. Um, he shows up later in the book of Acts. And when Agabus speaks, people prove his reputation because they respond in action. In this case, it was a famine. Now, you can do some homework on this to boost your belief in the Bible. The, uh, Luke tells us here that this happened in the days of Claudius. And you can read secular books about history and you can see that just as the Bible tells us there was a famine, there was a famine. And just as the Bible tells us the details of this, we can trust the Bible. Most likely this, this gift that the um, disciples collected in the Gentile church was a financial gift. And uh, the famine, there would have been food maybe not as readily available but what would have been available would have been extremely costly. So as they pull together the funds and send this gift to the church in Jerusalem, not only do they help a church in need, but it shows the unity that can only happen by the transforming power of Christ. You see, the Gentile church were the outsiders. They were the ones that were considered outside of God's chosen people. But the Gentile church here shows a great deal of unity as they consider others more important and they pull together this love offering to send with the elders back to the church in Jerusalem. Now this is by God's design. It goes back to the body analogy. Um, if you've ever washed your hands, it takes both hands to wash, right? The right hand washes the left hand. If you've ever had a cut or a bandage or something on one of your hands and it's hard to wash your hands without both of them, right? God's designed us to look around and as we see somebody in need, if we have the ability, then go meet the need. And we see that happening here at the end of this, this chapter. There's a need and these people met the need. Your last fill in the blank, the sixth one, is to look for needs to match your ability. And as we look for needs to match your ability, you'll find God providing you opportunities to serve in your church. And as God has surgically added you to the body, we'll find that there are many needs, many opportunities for God to be glorified as we help each other. I wanted to tell you a funny story about a friend of mine. His name is G. It's short for Greg. He's actually from Dayton. Uh, he's, a, he's a unique friend of mine, and uh, he's got a buddy, Luke. And the first time he was at my house, I noticed he walked kind of funny. He, he actually had a prosthetic foot. And uh, he was telling me all about it. And as I'm preparing this sermon, prosthetic, I thought of my friend, G. And uh, he told me uh, him and his buddy, Luke, loved to ride their motorcycles. But oftentimes, they would get to their destination, and G would get off his bike, and he was crooked. He was leaning. He had lost his shoe on the way there. And uh, they would turn around sometimes miles and spend countless hours looking 
for lost shoes. G had a need, and his friend Luke was there to help him. It reminds me of the partnership of Paul and Barnabas in this story here, how they've spent countless hours sharing the gospel with lost people. I see these things happening here in our church, and um, I just wanted to thank you guys for the encouraging stories that we hear. As part of my uh, job, I love to build relationships with people, and I love to tell stories. I like to tell encouraging stories. And as a, this past week, I've realized in my life that I use the phrase, people from my church, a lot in my stories. Every time I say it, just the joy bubbles up inside of me of, oh, another story about my church. I love to tell people what's going on. And oftentimes it comes right back to the people in my church. Now this past week, you guys have been very encouraging to Josie and I and our family. Um, mainly my stories this past week have been about farming. The week before, it was about the disabled adults dance uh, with other customers. Now, when I tell these stories, the people always come back with questions, right? Like, who do you get to help you get that equipment ready? I say, people from my church. Well, who do you get to drive all that equipment? I say, people from my church. Well, how did you get, how did you, how did you serve 139 disabled adults? Where would you get all the help? Well, I say, people from my church. What about someone who gets up at 5 a.m. in the morning to drive to West Virginia and back in the same day to pick up a side-by-side? Or what about fixing a fan in our church when squirrels are getting in? Or what about my family as we're going through a tough time and people brought us comfort? I say, people from my church helped us with that. I got a picture here I want to put up. I want to pick on Chris a little bit today. Uh, Chris, if you guys don't know it, is a gifted equipment operator um, Chris and multiple others, Teague, it's been out. We've had other people serving our family with just meals, just spending time with uh, Josie and the kids. Uh, but man, what an encouragement. I think people, if they were to be at the Wilbur Ranch this past week, they would hopefully phrase it as the grace of God. To see the good weather of members helping other members. And that's attractive. I got another picture uh, at the end here to close with. Uh, this is from my buddy Michael Brunswick, native St. Henryan. <laughs> and uh, you can see there's a lot of famous people from St. Henry, from football players to baseball players. But I wanted to put this up here as we end. Um, what, do, what do we do with these words from today? What do, we, what do we do about how God is spreading the gospel through Antioch? What can we take away from this? And I wonder if we were able to go back to uh, Cyprus, if there would be a sign that said, Home of the famous encourager Barnabas. I wonder if there'd be a sign that said that. You know, it's, it's, it's just amazing to think that the gospel started in a small town and through generations of faithful gospel ministers, the gospel has gotten to Versailles. And some of us here have been able to believe and trust in it. I wonder if we had a sign outside of Versailles of hometown heroes, I wonder what they would say if it was your name on there. I wonder if it would say faithful encourager, faithful minister, faithful evangelizer, faithful active church member. Now secondly, I wanted to encourage you and I hope you felt some conviction today in your evangelism. And uh, I wonder if you're sitting here right now thinking like, man, I didn't talk to anyone last week about the gospel. Well, I would challenge you to make up for that and try to talk to two people this week about the gospel. Now, maybe you're thinking, it's been a couple weeks since I've talked to anybody about the gospel. Well, I would challenge you to talk to at least four people this week. 
Now, some of you might have to take a whole week of vacation to catch up. But I hope you see the importance in the plan of God as salvation spreads through those faithful ministers of sharing the gospel. I pray that you see the fear of evangelism is a false fear and it's out of selfishness that you choose not to share the gospel. And I hope you know that God has planned good things for you and other believers in our community. And part of that is to share the gospel. And it's for you to widen your circle as these few unnamed men from Cyprus and Cyrene were faithful to the gospel today. Now, if you've been keeping up with me, there's a quiz now. If you've gotten all the fill in the blanks, if you want to go to the next slide, Matthew, if you look at the first letter of each word, I'm a little tricky on you here, it spells the word gospel. Now, if you've got it right, congratulations. Now, I wonder if, as I took a sampling of words in this passage and put them together in this outline, we saw the, the, the word gospel appear. I wonder if we took a few hours from each day of your life this past week or the upcoming week and we played them on next Sunday morning on the screen, I wonder if we would get an average of those hours and it would somehow reflect the goodness of the gospel in your life. Now this isn't like at work when we have an auditor coming in and we know the date and we, we clean the floors and we polish up while the gospel is going to, while the auditor is going to be there. But I hope this is a reflection of your lifestyle. As these believers were looking forward to Jesus coming back and rescuing them from the persecution, they remained faithful even amongst the opposition and they shared the good news of Jesus. I hope you can take that out of this passage today and that you can find encouragement from Antioch. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your words today. We acknowledge the fact that any of us, of us here today that have turned and trusted in your son Jesus for salvation, that that process started many years ago with a few unnamed men traveling from Cyprus and Serene to a city full of sinners, I pray that you reached us through those faithful ministers of the gospels here in Versailles. And Lord, like you did then, would you continue to change the hearts and minds of people in our community? That we may be a reflection of your grace to those around us? Would you destroy the idols in our lives of selfishness and pride, but instead put an unresistible eagerness to use our own unique abilities to glorify you in your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.